This is the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less. Ever wish you could re-listen to your favorite interview or segment? Do you enjoy hearing older shows for the first time in years? Then the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less is just what you need. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to this very special edition of the Best Moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 Minutes or Less. This is episode 100. That's right. Thank you so much for allowing this show to go on 100 weeks. And to celebrate, I asked Greg Rempe from the really big Barbecue Central Show to pop on over, talk a little bit about the big show, get a little background, a little information, spend some time with Greg. Had a great time doing it. Let's jump right into this doubleheader today with Greg Rempe. Let's go. Can we take a step back and recap for those that may not know, how did you even get into this live fire cooking thing in the beginning? And when was that? I was always a griller growing up in uh, originally upstate New York. And then we ended up coming to Cleveland when I was in sixth or seventh grade. My dad got a gas grill and that's what he used when he was grilling and that was steak and hamburgers and hot dogs, sometimes chicken, every once in a while, some really bad ribs. But it wasn't about the quality of the food at that point. It was a place where I could go and hang out with my dad and he was cooking. And that's what I was always around and what my experience of live fire was initially. Fast forward to a Father's Day, probably, I don't know now, 15 years ago, 16 years ago, we had moved into a new house in Euclid. And I got a really big Kenmore gas grill from my wife as a moving in present. Over the course of 16 months, cooked through, literally through the back of that gas grill. So now it's time to get something in replacement. I ended up talking to my cousin, Glenn Rempe, who at that time in Maryland was a barbecue caterer. And I was consulting him and he said, hey, have you ever thought about getting a barbecue pit? And I said, I have no idea what a barbecue pit is. And that's really... Glenn is the reason why all of this happens. If we want to go back and credit one person, is it my dad, my mom, was it divine intervention? No, it was my cousin Glenn, who was really the barbecue master of the family, who is the barbecue master of the family. Let me say that. And he's the one that caused all of this mess over the last decade plus. And he said, find a barbecue pit. Here are some suggestions, lower cost, then also go buy a grill. Because I was looking at a Gen Air stainless steel. It was $1,300 at the time. Had that big rotisserie burner in the back. I was really geeked on it. And he said, look into this. Instead, you can get a decent pit, which ended up being a Weber Smoky Mountain. You can get a decent grill, which I ended up getting a three-burner Weber Genesis at the time. And you might save yourself some money in the process. He was exactly right. And that was my entrance or introduction into barbecuing was my very first Weber Smoky Mountain that my wife got me on a Father's Day, low these many, many years ago. So at what point in your live fire career did you even start to develop the concept of this show? Or how did this even come to be, the, the Barbecue Central show itself? So this is very convoluted, and I'll try to get through it as quickly and succinctly as possible. The time that my wife gave me the Weber Smoky Mountain, I did a cardinal sin right off the bat. I took the directions out and followed them step by step on how to fire up the Weber Smoky Mountain to do a rack of ribs. It was a fire battle right from the beginning because, I, if I recall correctly, the directions say to fire up one and a half live chimneys of charcoal and 
add them in and then, you know, start cooking at the hottest time possible. And they were as average a rib as you could have. I was very disappointed. I thought about taking the middle and the top, throwing it away and keeping the bottom charcoal bowl for a potted planter, planter thing and put flowers in it. And I said, you know what? The internet was kind of really happening at that point. So I jumped online and luckily I found a website called the Virtual Weber Bullet. And it was specifically dedicated to, I guess now it's Weber products in general, but it, there was a huge portion of it that was specifically dedicated to the Weber Smoky Mountain. And that's where I learned everything about the Weber Smoky Mountain, how to light it properly, how to ramp up in temperature instead of trying to fight it down. Met a lot of great influential people. Because remember at that time, so let's say 2004 or 2005, prior to me doing any type of podcasting or broadcast or anything like that, message boards were the thing of all things. You went to message boards to find out all information and post questions. And if they were active, you were getting answers very quickly. And this was a very active board, a lot of dedicated members. And I just fell in love with the whole thing. So I was gaining knowledge. My cooks were becoming better and better each time. I was making online relationships with people that I was never probably going to meet in person. And I just started asking question after question after question and engaging and the guy that owned the Weber Bullet website, private messaged me one time. He said, hey, you're asking too many questions and you're going to cost me, you're costing me too much money to run. I don't know how things were running back then. And I said, you know what? F you. I'm going to start my own forum. And that's what I did through a couple trial and error, some free service uh, bulletin board programs and this and that. Eventually, it started to grow organically. So I downloaded all the information I bought. At that point, bbq the numeral four dash the letter U dot com. And that was my first entrance into the internet landscape. It was a message form or a message board, whatever you want to call it. So that grew into one of the more active forums that were out there at that point. Now, around the same time, there were a lot of other people getting into making message boards. So to separate, I had heard about podcasting, uh, the barbecue forum. I think that bbqforum.com, I don't even know if that's still around or not. Ray Basso owned that. He should be in the Barbecue Hall of Fame, by the way. We can talk about that at a different time. He started doing these podcasts, and boy, did they suck. They sounded really bad. He sounded really bad. But the concept struck me, and I decided that I would also give it a try, try and separate myself from some of the other messages. So I was just interviewing, and it was like through a teleconference recording. So I called in, and you called in. We joined in. It recorded everything. It was on some really unique user interface online. I had some really crappy intro music and outro music. And then I had a sound file and I could post it in my forum and everybody, I was interviewing a lot of my own members. It wasn't even going out and trying to get people like I do present day for the Barbecue Central show. That's how it originally started. Just interviewing my own members, adding some value, trying to separate. And then once I thought the forum was starting to lose, I was losing interest in the forum and I was really getting more interest in continuing to podcast. That's when I started Barbecue Central Show. I had to change the name because I was going to get sued by somebody who claimed that they had patent on bbqforyou.com, whatever. So I changed the name of everything at that point to Barbecue Central. Barbecue Central Show was born out of that. It was strictly a podcast in the beginning where I would long-form interview, and then I would cut down into the best 20 to 30 minutes and then post those once a week. Then there were a lot of barbecue podcasts who were coming out. So to separate again, I decided I would try and do a live show. I found a guy over in L.A., who was opening a online radio station or internet radio station. 
I had to convince him that he should take me on as one of his initial hosts, which I did. We found technology where he could hook into me and then he could rebroadcast on his audio servers. And it was a a match made in heaven. Uh, He's still one of my best internet friends. I've never met him personally, like many people. And eventually the show went from one hour to two hours and all this other stuff. But that is the full genesis of the show to, to where it is a live show for two hours on Tuesday, present day. A question that comes to mind when you tell me that in those early days, you know, we just start this podcast, we'll call it 2006, 2007 ish. How did you even know anybody was on the other side of that? Was there any, you know, before matrix tracking and all these numbers games, were you just shooting it out in the dark and hoping for the best? I don't even know if I had any thought like that at all. I figured the first set of podcasts that I was doing through that crappy telephone conference, I think it was called Telcaster was the name of the company that I was using. The way out of business at this point. I was posting it in my forum and I figured there's probably going to be a good percentage of people who um, kind of like Meathead's pitcast that I do for him now. It, it's a really involved group. If I'm posting stuff within the forum, there's probably going to be a certain percentage of those group of people that are going to listen or read or, or whatever that I post on that forum or that anybody posts on that forum. I wasn't thinking anything about downloads and CPMs and all this other stuff that we've grown into now in 2019. It was just, it was literally just a way for me to showcase some people that were active on my forum and set myself apart from all of the other barbecue forums that were coming into vogue at that time. That's it. It seems to have worked out well. Just do what you love and let the rest take care of itself. And let me tell you, I have no training in anything, anything. I went to school for sports business. I mean, what the hell is sports business? I couldn't be doing anything further from sports business that I am doing now. I have no idea about any technology. It's all self-taught. I'm not a broadcaster. I didn't go to broadcasting school. To put in your request for a future show, please contact John Solberg via email at john, J-O-N, at the bbqcentralshow.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. No idea about any technology. It's all self-taught. I'm not a broadcaster. I didn't go to broadcasting school. This is all help along the way. My first podcast sounded so bad and so crappy, and I was the worst interview. I had no inflection. My interview skills were poor at best. And one time I was I was interviewed by somebody who had a really great show that conceptually I would like to bring back to air at some point. This guy sounded great. He had a great radio voice. I think he was in radio at some point, but the fidelity and quality of his show was incredible, way better than mine. And I sent him a message and I said, hey, I'm doing a podcast too, as you know, and you sound great. I want to sound exactly like you. What are you doing? And he took the time to walk me through the steps and his process and his equipment, most importantly. And over time, and over gaining sponsors, I would get some money in, I would invest in a piece, I'd get some money in, I invested in another piece. And it was just always trying to make myself sound as professional and as good as possible. And that's the concept I've carried on to this day. But I am no expert. I'm an expert now just because of the time in, but I had no idea what I was doing. And I think sometimes I get lumped into being a, a tech wizard or a sound audio wizard. 
And that's really not the case. Uh, I can get out of my depths very quickly still in 2019. Well, you have us all fooled. You make it look easy, even though a lot of us know it's not. If I take a quick look back at the show over all the years, which I do weekly, there's been a lot of transitions in the format, I'll call it, and maybe that's a stretch. Can you kind of walk us through, you know, the show started, it was an hour, then it changed to two hours, or then there was an after dark segment. For a while, <laughs> there was a third hour on Wednesday. There was? Can you kind of, there was a third hour on Wednesday, and the first guest on that show, by the way, was Dr. Barbecue. Any any way you can frame up, like, how did you go from an hour, or whatever it started, to two hours, to three hours, back to two hours? The answer to the first question is simple. It started out as an hour. It wasn't even an hour. It was 50 minutes or 55 minutes. Because that's the slot that the guy at L.A. Talk Radio, which is now L.A. Talk Radio, had for the day that he was assigning to me. Originally, the show started on a Thursday for like two or three weeks. And then he said, hey, we got to move to Tuesdays. And ultimately, that's where the show has lived now for well over a decade. But I, it was an hour because I just had an hour. So I would go through and segment that hour out. I want to have this many guests. I want to have this much time to talk about what I want to talk about. And the first show, the first live L.A. talk radio show was me talking about different kinds of cookers and different kinds of fuel, all very beginner stuff. It wasn't like I just shot out and decided I wanted to start grabbing the biggest names in the industry. So it started out very rudimentary. Now, over the time. I realized that as I was prepping, I always want to over prep because I never want to under prep and then hope I can come off with stuff off the top of my head to fill the remaining time. So I'd always over prep. And then I would look at the end of the show and go, you know what? There was probably another 10 or 15 or 20 minutes. And that was stuff I really wanted to get to. So I'm going to hold it and wait for next week. But then inevitably, I would get to next week and maybe that piece had become less timely or there was really no interest anymore or there was a whole bunch of other stuff that I knew that I wanted to talk about, but I was going to try and reserve that and I still never got to it. So eventually it would just decay off and become irrelevant and I would be done with it. Well, of course, the natural process is to think, well, I want to add more time, but I didn't want to commit to doing a whole second hour, hence the after dark segment. Uh, also, I believe I was pitching that at the time. I don't remember a lot of this stuff, unfortunately. Uh, I think I was pitching it also as more of an edgy, less regimented or segmented portion where I would just have one guest and we would just run until I ran out of stuff to talk about or ask about. And then we would call it quits. So sometimes it was 15 minutes and sometimes it was 30 minutes and sometimes it was an extra hour. And we did that for a while. And then I said, you know what? I can. Now that I've done After Dark, I realize I can do a full two hour show. So I decided at that point that I would add the second hour. I let the guy at LA Talk Radio know, and he said, well, we're still going to have to cut you off at the 55-minute mark. But I had, in turn, gotten my own audio streaming and set up a wholly dedicated uh, standalone operation in Cleveland. So he could peek into my signal. He could put it over his, and then at the end, he just cut me off. I was free to continue. I wasn't going to get cut off like I would have been otherwise if I would have stayed at LA Talk Radio because there was a show behind me at 10 o'clock at night. So then I started prepping for a second hour, learned that phase of adding a whole additional 60 minutes and filling and all that. 
And that's where the second hour is born. John, I have no recollection of doing a third hour or a Wednesday show. It must have been short-lived, and it must have been horrible because I have legitimately blocked it from memory. I don't remember doing any of that. But I, <laughs> well, I, I mean, I never want to get to a position in the show where I'm afraid to continue to push the envelope. So I will try stuff. But I also believe that, uh, like, uh, one of my online mentors, uh, business guy always says, learn to fire quickly. Like people, if they're not working out, don't keep them around. You fire quick. Same thing with segments and guests and all this other stuff on my show. If it's something new, try it out. And if I don't think it's going well, I'll kill it very quickly. That's probably why I don't even remember because there's so much other great stuff that's happened over the last 10 or 12 years. That must've been really bad. And I just don't remember it. Well, that's fair enough. It was fired quickly. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I fired like, quickly, I guess. So quickly, I don't remember. You brought up something in that you're prepping and then you expanded. I'm, I'm really curious, how much time, and I know this is uh, an odd question to pin down, how much time a week do you actually spend prepping and preparing for the show? So for a two-hour show, on a average, I would say I'm in between 18 to 20 hours. That That's a commitment. But again, I'm, I'm hyper sensitive and hyper concerned that you could tune into the show and if I took a week off or I decided to mail it in it would show and you would lose interest and I'm not worried about you not listening again I'm deathly worried about people talking shit about me uh, through the internet saying that the show sucks or uh, it was just a lame listen there's plenty of other lame barbecue podcast listens out there And I refuse to be one of them. So I will work my ass off whenever I have the free time in order to make sure that I have my guest outline questions done right, that I have things that I want to talk about laid out in a way that's going to make sense and grab your attention, and that I'm working on me as a host. If you're not into me, and I want you to either hate me or like me. I don't want, you know, give me an A, give me an F. I don't want you in the C and and D minus range. I want you to listen to me because you hate me and you want to hate everything that I'm about to say for the next two hours, or I want you to love me and be a central light and love everything that I'm going to say for the next two hours. But I want to work on it and bring value. So it may seem like a lot of prep time, but uh, again, this is all I've ever done. I've always prepped hard for the show. It's always been me working the show live. And so I wouldn't have any idea. I couldn't possibly relinquish production control or prep control or or anything else. Uh, Although, you know, Doug and uh, you and Steve and David and Stover will help me with ideas, you know, over the the last handful of years. Uh, Even when you weren't part of the inner circle, you guys would shoot me emails and say, hey, FYI and this. And I could devise a take or mention it during the show. So content there. But I just... I can't, at this point, I can't relinquish any control and I can't step back in prep time because to me, I've set a certain standard that I have to meet every week. And that's, I don't know if you were going to ask about it, but that's another reason why I do the show live every Tuesday still. A lot of people say, you know, you could just go pre-record everything and just post it. Nobody know any of the difference. Well, I probably wouldn't be doing the show still. I love pressure. I love to work under pressure. And having the pressure to produce a new show every Tuesday and have it be good, or to the best of my ability, make it be good, that drives me. Uh, I don't know if there would be a show if five years 
ago, I stopped doing a live show and was just doing a pre-recorded show. I'd probably find a way to get out of it. What is what do you think the future looks like for the really big barbecue central show? I hate that question. It's like uh, the interview question for a job when they say, "Where do you say where do you see yourself in three to five years?" <laughs> well, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, if you're interviewing me, uh, my hope is that I'm going to be in your spot, right? I want to take your job if I'm really good at it. I want to put you out of work. I don't. I don't know. I, I want to continue to keep my finger on the pulse of what people are interested in. I never want the show to be pigeonholed into being just this kind of show or just that kind of show. Over the course of the history of the Barbecue Central show, you've seen it be more competition-focused. Now you've seen it be way less competition-focused and more onto the backyard stuff. Wherever the interest in live fire is, that's where I want the show to cover and to focus. I want to talk to big names and I want to talk to little names and everybody in between and still keep in touch with all the manufacturers. I continue to want to be the ESPN of the live fire industry and whatever form that takes in three years or five years, that's what I want to do. And I want to be on the leading edge. Well, that's a good answer for a question that you hate. (laughs) I hate that question. Well, I wish I'd have known that, but edit that question out. It's all done. And there you have episode 100 of the best moments of the Barbecue Central show in 10 minutes or less. Obviously, I did not edit that out, so hopefully there will be another 100 episodes of the best moments of the Barbecue Central show in 10 minutes or less. As always, if you'd like to get a hold of me, send me an email at john, J-O-N, john, at the bbqcentralshow.com. You can get in touch with Greg over at greg at the bbqcentralshow.com. We'd love to hear from you. Can't thank you enough for the last 100 episodes. I'm looking forward to bringing you another 100 episodes, and none of this happens without all of you. So until next time on the best moments of the Barbecue Central show in 10 minutes or less, I am your host, John Solberg. I look forward to talking to you again soon.